move into our sermon for today. And so, if you've joined us for the last week, or if this is your first time, we are in our current series called Simple Theology. And in this series, our goal is that we're talking, each week we're talking about a, a theological topic. And our goal is to summarize that theological to- concept with just one word. And at the end of the sermon, we'd love for you to reflect on what you heard. And so in your bulletin, on screen, uh, at your table, the little green boxers, there's white carts, got four questions on it. And so we would love for you to keep in mind those four questions uh, so you get a chance to reflect at the, end of sermon, at the end of the sermon. The questions are, summarize the sermon in one or two words. What do you hear the Holy Spirit saying to you? What are you going to do about it? And how can we help you? Now, this morning, our topic is sin. Our topic is sin. And I know sin is something that we hear a lot about in the church, and sometimes it's weighty, sometimes it feels shaming, sometimes it feels like, oh, we're talking about sin. I don't want to talk about sin. But I hope that we can paint it in a different light today to understand what sin is. And so the one word that I'm going to summarize sin with is this. It's rebellion. Sin is rebellion. To rebel simply means to resist, to be in opposition to, be against someone, be against something. Now, when I came across this word to summarize sin, I was a little bit, I had mixed emotions. On one hand, I love the idea of rebellion because I hate the idea of having to conform, having to be compliant, having to fit in with the norm. And so I don't like the idea of conformity. Rebellion reminds me of some of my favorite movies like Star Wars and The Matrix and The Hunger Games where the main character rebels against evil empires that are unjust and so they are fighting for justice. They're fighting for what's right. Again, I'd like to think that I have a little rebellion in me, that I'm not willing to conform to social norms and trends, that, that again, I am unique in that you know, I'm standing for, for what's important. And then again, the mixed emotion came it was as I was preparing the sermon here. In two of the three theology books I read, sin was defined as a lack of failure to conform to the moral law of God. And so then it made me think about why rebellion feels so appealing and discomforting at the same time. And so let's dive a little bit more into rebellion to understand what it means. And I think the best way for us to understand sin is rebellion is what starts when we ask these three questions. First question is, what is sin? Second question is, how does sin affect us? And lastly, what do we do about it? And so the first point, what is sin? Now, the Bible uses words relating to archery that describe sin as an arrow missing the target. Sin is simply, can be simply understood as missing the goal or failing to meet a goal that God has for us. Like when we shoot an arrow, we miss the target. We fail to meet the goal of hitting that target. And so God's goal for us is to love God and love others. So when we sin, when we rebel against God's goal, which is to love, and, love God and love others, that is the rebellion that we deal with. 
This rebellion first occurs in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, uh, God's command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the rebellion began with mistrust when they believed the serpent's doubts regarding God's goodness. You see, the serpent had suggested to Adam and Eve that God's command was withholding, was keeping good away from them. And that caused Adam and Eve to desire more, leading them to ultimately disobey God. Now, desire is a natural part of our lives. We desire to enjoy things. We desire to obtain things. We desire to do things. But taken to an extreme, our desire can lead us to sin, can lead us to rebel. So think about enjoying food. Again, it's natural for us to want to eat food, but again, to an extreme, enjoying food becomes gluttony. We overeat. We eat more than we need to. We don't eat to sustain ourselves, but we eat to enjoy for our own pleasure. Adam and Eve's rebellion against God had a huge consequence because it didn't reflect God's goodness. It didn't reflect God's desire. And the consequence of their rebellion made a lasting impact on all of humanity, on us today as well too. So it leads us to the next question. How does it affect us? How does it affect you and me? How does sin, how does rebellion affect you and I? The biggest consequence of Adam and Eve's rebellion is that we all inherit a nature to rebel against God. And so even in our great, you know, best moments of, of, of doing things good, we have a nature to always rebel against God. It's universal, so we all deal with it. And we're all deeply steeped in this nature to rebel. Rebellion against God isn't simply that we do bad things or say bad words, but it's our very nature, our preference to do things, that it is our nature to do things to benefit ourselves and no one else's. Now, it might sound unfair that we inherit this nature to rebel against God because it was Adam and Eve's decision to rebel, not ours. And trust me, I've been like, you know, if I was Adam and I was Eve, I wouldn't have disobeyed God. But the truth is, Adam is our representation. Adam represents all of us. And so Adam did what any of us would have done. And inheriting his sin, inheriting his rebellious nature, in some ways it's like inheriting physical characteristics and personality traits from our parents, whether we like them or not. And for us who have kids, it's like our kids inheriting our personality traits and our physical characteristics, whether we like it or not. We also inherit this nature to rebel against God because, again, Adam represented all of us. Again, we think that we might have acted differently, but again, our desires, our desires would have led us to the same situation. So with a nature that causes us to rebel against God in every way, there are four ways that sin affects us. And I'm borrowing this from Stanley Grenz, a theologian. And so these are the four ways that we see how sin directly affects us. The first is alienation. The second is condemnation. The third is enslavement. The fourth is depravity. Let me explain a little bit more what they mean. And so the first one, alienation, what does that mean? 
Rebellion alienates or separates us from God's community that he created us to be in. We no longer experience a harmonious relationship with God. We don't experience that relationship with others. We don't experience that relationship with creation. There is continuous competition with others. Instead of seeing ourselves as creative beings under God, we seek to be the creator. We seek to control nature. We seek to enslave it. We seek to exploit it for our benefit. And so rebellion, the nature of sin, separates from us from God. And we see it right in Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve fall, they are separated from God. They are to leave the garden. The second is condemnation. When someone breaks a law, any law, they are, when, when they're caught and they're found guilty, there's a punishment. Punishments can result in a fine, community service, maybe jail time. Now, similarly, when we break when we rebel against God and we break his commands and laws, there's a punishment too. Breaking God's commands and laws causes us to be guilty of failing to meet his goal, so there's a punishment. Condemnation simply means that when we rebel against God, we are guilty, deserving of punishment. The third way that we're affected by sin is enslavement. So when we rebel against God, the spirit of rebellion keeps us in its grasp. The desire to rebel isn't just a one-time decision, but it becomes an addiction, a habit. And when things become a habit, we are likely to deny that it's a problem. We might even become insensitive to our habits and consider them to be harmless when they are harmful. And so we're enslaved to this, the, this nature of rebellion and we just naturally think it's okay for us to rebel. Lastly is depravity. Depravity is being, so, is being completely corrupted by sin uh, and rebellion against God causes us to be completely corrupted by sin so much so that everything we do is motivated by our selfishness to honor ourselves, not God. So even when we think we aren't being unselfish, there's always a selfish motive. This is a place that we can't remove ourselves from. You see, sin is a serious issue. Rebellion is a serious issue, so it needs a serious solution. We can't rely on our own ability or power to change our situation. Instead, we need a power that's greater than ours. And this leads us to our last point. So what do we do about it? If this is how sin impacts us, if this is how sin affects us, what do we do about it? If rebellion against God is as serious as it is, what do we do about it? The solution is Jesus. Now, I know we hear about this all the time. It's the typical Sunday school answer. You ask your kid, hey, what do we do with sin? Jesus but the whole point of why we're here, whole point why we exist, the whole point why we have this faith tradition is that it, 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 it all exists because it hinges on Jesus. That Jesus comes to earth to bear the effects of sin, the alienation, the condemnation, the enslavement, the depravity. He takes on all of that and replaces it with his righteousness, his right standing with God. 
And so when we believe in Jesus, the effects of sin are no longer in effect. We are no longer separated by God. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39 reminds us this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That there is no separation when we believe in Jesus. We are no longer condemned. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Romans chapter 6 verses 6 through 7 tells us that we are no longer enslaved. This is what it says. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And lastly, we are no longer depraved. We are no longer corrupted by sin. Instead, we are reborn as children of God without the inherited sin nature anymore. John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13 reminds, us, reminds us, us, us of this. This is what it says. Yet to all who did receive him, all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's, husband's will, but born of God. Earlier I mentioned how it feels unfair that we inherit this rebellious nature from Adam, but we must consider this perspective that Wayne Grudem offers. That if it's unfair for us to be represented by Adam, then we should also think it's unfair for us to be represented by Christ and to have his righteousness imputed or credited to us by God. If we think it's unfair that we inherit Adam's sin nature, then it's also unfair that we inherit what Christ credits to us when we believe in him. And so though it might feel unfair, in a sense it's also unfair that we just simply inherit Jesus' right standing with God when we believe in him. But thanks to God that his graciousness, his love for us, that even if we would think that this is unfair, that we inherit this rebellious nature from Adam, that again, he graciously, that he generously, that he lovingly gives us Jesus who takes our nature of rebellion and exchanges it for his nature of being right with God so that we can experience his love and his peace for us. Let me pray for us.